Do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you. We see you. And we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we're talking about the film The Pink Panther from 1963 with my wonderful guest, Nick Lang. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. I am your host, Sarah Greenfield, and today I have my wonderful guest, Nick Lang, on the show. Hi, Nick. Hello, thank you for having me back. <laughs> and this time around, we watched the film The Pink Panther from 1963. And it's important that I say this because they made, you know, another round of Pink Panthers in the 2000s. So this is the 1963 Blake Edwards directed Pink Panther. Nick, yes. what are your kind of opening thoughts? How did you feel? Okay, so first off, this is um, maybe the freshest I've come in to record one of these episodes because the pink panther is a movie that in my brain i go yeah i've seen the pink panther but i've never actually seen the pink panther i think maybe i'd seen clips of sequels and things like that and seen uh the remake maybe at some point but i had never actually i don't think seen the original movie so i literally just finished watching it right before we jumped on this call so um I guess we'll see what my thoughts are. I, I I had thoughts as I was watching it, but I think maybe I didn't a hundred percent sit to meditate on what the on how I've processed the film. So we're going to be doing that in real time. Got it. You're like still processing. We're going to process I'm still together. Processing because okay. you know, spoiler alert. You know, some stuff goes down. There's going to be all the spoiler alerts, people at home. We're going to ruin the whole movie. So if you're not cool with knowing all of the things, then watch the movie first and then come back. It's no big deal. Yes, yes. Watch the movie first. And the ending, you go like, huh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So as we go through this movie, um, we're going to be talking about stuff that did not age well. Yeah. And I think that there are certain aspects of the film in general that have not aged well. We'll we'll dive into that in a little bit. Um, so I'm going to just share with everybody at home why I chose this film. I chose this film especially for this time because it's like a fun wintry caper, you know, like it takes place a lot in Italy, in northern Italy, like northeastern Italy, in like the ski mountains there. I can't pronounce the name of the place, so I'm not going to try. Um and it was really filmed on location. So it's got these like gorgeous wintry shots and there's lots of scenes that are like cozy by the fire. So it's a very wintry, fun, capery film. It's like holiday adjacent. Uh, I call it a cozy caper. 
And it's directed by Blake Edwards, who we have not talked about on the show, but who I really admire as a director and in general. Um, So that's why I chose it. And then um, we'll do like a little plot synopsis for people at home. It's a little bit convoluted. So I'm really interested to see how I share this plot synopsis today. Yeah. Uh So the film is called The Pink Panther. And I think in my brain, like growing up, we all know the cartoon character, The Pink Panther, right? Yes, there is yes. no actual cartoon Pink Panther. The Pink Panther is a diamond. It's the most fabulous diamond in the whole world that has a flaw that looks like a panther. And since the diamond is pink, the diamond itself is called the Pink Panther. Um, and we are yes. introduced to this diamond via the second the, this film opens, we get a really cool credit sequence. I'm going to call that out. Like awesome cartoon yeah. credit sequence with a pink panther animal. Yes. Right. The famous yeah. one. Yes. Henry that Mancini. is where the cartoon character comes in. Yes. Because, yes, I think like like you, I grew up watching the pink panther cartoons because mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. made shorts they made like yes. short cartoons based on just the opening title character in in this movie that uh is never actually in the movie but in the opening credits and then kind of comes in at the very end it's a pink panther yeah and a cigarette a pink panther <laughs> with like the long cigarette that's like a staple of like edward's films i feel like really cool cigarette holders um but also i feel like the pink panther we're gonna get into the credit sequence too but i feel like he that character gives us the tone of what the characters are going to be like in the film it's got like a little bit of clouseau mm-hmm. about him he's got a little bit of a trickster about him this you know panther cartoon yes. character um and that's like a lot of stuff that's in the film so it like gets yeah. us ready for this vibe plus the theme song is incredible by henry mancini we'll get to that too um, but yes. continue. I'm going to continue the plot synopsis. So we open with with someone in an actor in brown face, and you're like, "Oh Jesus Christ! What, yes, what have I done?" That, yes, yeah. that's through yeah. the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Warning: That's in the whole movie. It's rough. I mean, the first time I saw this movie, yeah. I was in high school, and I've seen it a lot since. But I think every time I watch it, it hits home more clearly how this has not aged well. Um, and that mm-hmm. is one of the things like, yes, there are characters that are supposed to be Indian that are in brown face and they are not Indian. And it's it's kind of rough. Um, yeah. But we see like a Maharaja giving his daughter, the princess, this beautiful diamond. Um, and like many years later, <laughs> we meet um, a professional thief, a professional jewel thief, the Phantom, as played by David Niven. Um, he's always outwitting cops, in particular this cop, Inspector Clouseau, who has been on his case forever, for at least 10 years. And Inspector Clouseau is played by Peter Sellers, and he is so bumbling and beyond ridiculous. And you are like, how do you have this job if you are this bumbling? But it doesn't matter. He's fun. He's very silly, very funny. Um, yeah. And he has this beautiful wife. Uh, Simone as played by Capucine. I don't know, actually know how to say her name. I'm just thinking that's how you say it. She was that a, sounded she was a good to me. French model Capucine, right? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's married to her, but we find out very quickly she's having an affair with, um, I want to call him the Pink Panther, but he's not the Pink Panther with the Phantom. He's the Phantom. David Niven. Yes. The Phantom, the Pink Panther, and um, Inspector Clouseau are all different people. <laughs> There is no actual Pink Panther. The inspector is not called the Pink Panther. The bad guy is not called the Pink Panther. Mm -mm. Just the diamond. confusing. 
Yes. Um, so they're having an affair. The police get close to him each time, but with the help of Simone, he and his like other friend who never really gets a name or is mentioned again, they help the phantom out of any kind of situation that may arise. Um, so they are all staying at the same ski chalet trying to solve this this crime or try no, there's no crime yet. They're all there because there's a party. There's a an elderly woman throwing a societal party. Yes. It I think I think that what it is is actually they are literally all on vacation. But why they're all on vacation at the same ski lodge is that the princess is there. So yes. the princess is there, so the the phantom people, all the people involved with the phantom, are kind of staking out the princess and trying to figure out where the diamond is yes. so that they can get ready to steal the diamond. So the princess is coming to the ski lodge. David Niven has sussed out the situation. He's kind of been spying on her, and he's come up with a way to meet her that involves kidnapping her dog, which she also does not seem concerned about. Like, after her dog is kidnapped, she's like, oh, well, I will move on with life. And you're like, okay, all right. Yeah. yeah, she doesn't care. So he kidnaps her dog to meet her. Uh, and Inspector Clouseau is there because the princess will likely be invited to parties. She has this big diamond that's been like talked about in the newspaper. So everybody knows she has it and everyone knows she's here. So he is thinking like, okay, jewelry has been stolen at each of these one woman's parties that she throws. The princess is going to be at this party. Someone's going to try to steal this diamond. I've got to be on top of it. So yeah, all three people are kind of like in this triangle where, yeah, Nick said it very well. They're on vacation but there's going to be a party and likely a jewel theft. Um, oh, and uh, the Phantom's nephew, David Niven's nephew, is awful. He is played by Robert Wagner. He's scum on wheels, just rotten human. Yeah, he's this. He's this weird subplot where the yeah the nephew who is a fraud who's been tricking his uncle into thinking that he's a studious youth. It is now also shows up because he's on the run because he owes somebody $40,000. So he shows up and he doesn't want to steal the diamond in the beginning. He's just like hiding out. And then he tries to get with Inspector Clouseau's wife. In like a really gropey, awful way, like a really non-consensual way. Yeah. In an awful way. Yes. That's another aspect of this film that did not age well. No. Is there's a lot of creepy men. Yes. And um, and but then in the end, the nephew decides, you know what? I'll I'll also try to steal the diamond. Yeah, so. he finds the kit. What is the phantom calls it? Like the do-it-yourself phantom kit. He finds his uncle's kit. His uncle, who has been so nice to him and funds him, he just like steals it. He steals that kit because he has no allegiance and no moral compass. <laughs> he's just a yeah, rotten human. He, yeah, he's terrible. That we're supposed to be rooting for, I think. I don't know. I don't know if we're supposed to be rooting for the nephew i think we are supposed to be rooting for the phantom so um they there's like the night of the big party uh it's a costume party of course everybody shows up in their random costumes george the nephew of david niven the phantom charles litton he has stolen the do-it-yourself phantom kit he wants to steal the diamond uh, David Niven wants to steal the diamond. Somehow they have sussed out that David Niven's character is the phantom through means that I'm like, mm, I don't think that really means that he's the thief, but whatever you guys have decided he is. It's fine. Yeah. 
Um, mm-hmm. So they're staking it out. They're all in costume. Um, the nephew goes in a gorilla suit. The phantom sneaks in, borrows someone else's gorilla suit and or monkey suit. I'm not sure if it's a monkey or a gorilla, if I'm being honest. I don't think it has tails, so I think it's probably a gorilla costume. It's some sort of ape. In the ape realm, it looks silly on camera. And we're like, and that's why you it's chose this silly. costume. I see. Oh, I see. It's a comedy. So they both try to steal the diamond at the same time from the same safe. And we get like a very duck soup, Groucho Harbo moment where they're like mirroring each other. Um, it's very fun. Very silly. It looks great on camera. The diamond is not in the safe. And they're like, oh no, what's going on? So they both try to make their escape. Inspector Clouseau is a moron and he accidentally like the lights have been put out uh, because the princess wanted it that way. Because the princess is tricking everybody because the princess turns out the lights. That's the end. That's what it turns out. Sorry. The, the, the thing about giving this synopsis is you go like, should I just say what happens? <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, because at the time you're like, princess, this doesn't make sense. You're not going to catch the thief in the dark. You're not. And then, but it makes, you know, it fun where there's, there's going to be fireworks. So Inspector Clouseau is an idiot. So he lights instead of a candle, he lights a firework and sets off fireworks in the house and everybody kind of has to leave. And then the gorillas, they have to jump through the window because everybody shows up. And some of the cops are in crazy costumes. Like there are two cops in a two man zebra suit, which is a constant, really funny gag. So they the gorillas escape through the window. They each jump into their very nice convertibles. The cops are after them. There's this insane car chase through the streets of Italy. It ends with everybody crashing in a giant heap, which is apparently supposed to be a nod to Foreign Correspondent, um, which is like a very serious Hitchcock film. That is not funny. Um, so yeah, there's this giant car crash. And then, uh, you know, the the what's David Niven and Robert Wagner both get caught They put them in jail and they're like, they're both the Phantom and they were colluding with each other. um, Or they think that Charles is the Phantom and that Robert Wagner was his accomplice. And um, Capucine, who has been having an affair with him and is married to Inspector Clouseau, and that's how they've been like getting through things. She's like, you know what? I know he actually didn't steal the diamond this time. We've got to figure this out. So she goes to the princess and she's like, princess, this is what's up. And the princess is like, guess what? I actually stole the diamond for myself. Because another part of the story is that the princess's dad was, I guess, like a dictator kind of and was politically he died or there was like a government overthrow kind of situation. And the people want the diamond back. And quite frankly, the people should have the diamond back. But whatever, whatever. Yes. Um, So the princess stole it the whole time. She was the, the real thief. But she comes up with a plan. Um, And they end up framing Inspector Clouseau as being the phantom in court. So it makes it look like he is the one who did all of these crimes. And on the way out, they make it okay because they're like, oh, I don't want him to go to jail. That's sad. And David Niven's like, he'll only be in jail for a little bit. And like once the phantom strikes again, they'll have him out of jail. But then also everyone sees him as a national hero now, Peter Sellers character. So when they're like, how did you do it? He's like, well, it wasn't easy. So he kind of takes ownership of it because he loves the notoriety that he's just gotten. And like, you know, the hero worship he is receiving for being the phantom. So they make you feel okay about it and that's the end (laughs) kind of and then you know the pink panther cartoon character comes back and he's a cop and he's directing traffic and then 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 the movie's over and that's the pink panther that was hard to explain um but we did it it's hard to explain um and the movie is like a farce so it's like classic 
people coming in and out of doors, people hiding under beds from each other, like just comedic scenes where characters are trying to hide from Inspector Clouseau and he's completely oblivious to this and he's bumbling around as different characters are going like, oh, I'll hide under the bed now. Oh, I'll run out the window. And then the car chase at the end is also like that to where the entire car chase is shown there's an old man that is walking across the street and just every single car almost hits him. And then he sits down and, and then you just hear the car crash and then he walks over and all the cars are crashed. Which is so smart because they saved money on that shot. They could just yeah. make the car crash happen and not show it to us. It was yes. very smart. Yes, it's a silly car chase. It's a silly car chase. And it's great because mm -hmm. the old man seems unaffected by it all. So we're watching all of this chaos and we're seeing like the two gorillas drive up next to each other and yell at each other in their cars it, with the old man in the middle. And he is totally unaffected. This like could happen to him every day. It's not a big deal. Yes. And the film is telling the audience, don't worry. Don't take it too seriously. This old man doesn't care. So we shouldn't care either. <laughs> But wait, you brought us into like a really good question or topic, which I wrote like this film is so interesting because we're rooting for the quote unquote wrong people. Like the people that we're behind are the thieves and the cheaters and the like aristocracy of, of a yes. government being overthrown. Yes. Like we're on the side of the princess, even though she's a little bit like we love her as a person but then you're like oh i don't know if i like what you're doing or stand for yes. and same with uh, simone like she's you know cheating on her husband the whole time and it's okay because he's a bumbling idiot but you're like oh and then david niven's literally a thief like yeah. he's a playboy thief so and yes. even robert wagner i think you're supposed to like him because he's robert wagner and i think they're trying to like set it up for the future even though they never used him in any of the sequels i think um okay. I think we're supposed to like him. Maybe not. I don't know. Again, you and I grew up where it's like I was very familiar with the Pink Panther cartoons. And the only character that is also in the cartoons is Clouseau, is Inspector Clouseau. He's like a little guy. But in the cartoons, it's kind of like, you know, Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd kind of thing where the Pink Panther is constantly you know, screwing over the Clouseau type looking character. And the Clouseau guy is like, has different jobs. Like sometimes he's like a painter or this or that. And the Pink Panther like wrecks up all his stuff. And that's kind of the idea of the cartoons. I've actually never watched this movie in its entirety or any of the sequels, uh, the original sequels. I've seen pieces, I think, but I have not seen them all, all the way through. So I, in going into this movie, I expected something very different than what the movie actually is. Because I think I was more expecting probably what the later movies are that are much more focused on the character Inspector Clouseau. So I, in this movie, the as I was watching it, I was just going like, huh. Inspector Clouseau is not the main character. The main character is this guy, this Char Charlie guy. Is that his name? Charlie? <laughs> Charles Lytton. Sir Charles Lytton. Charles. And I don't know, maybe I looked away from the screen for from in the very beginning or something, but in 
my recollection of watching the movie, I did not in the very beginning when the phantom is stealing something right in the beginning, you don't see who the phantom is, right? The phantom is completely dressed in black. Yes, but you can tell, I think, from profile that it's David Niven, I think. Or like, it's like he's got a mask on, but you know, based on like the body. And I don't know, I could tell it was David Niven, but I also have seen this before. From me, I was like, okay, they're trying to make it seem like it's this guy, but there's going to be a twist. And my brain was going like, okay, the phantom can't be the guy that we think is the phantom. So the whole movie, I was expecting a reveal as to who's really the phantom. The whole movie, I was expecting it to be that the Charles guy actually isn't the phantom. Or like like right when Inspector Clouseau's wife showed up, I was like, okay, she's the phantom. Because then there's the part at the end where the where Charles and his nephew open the safe and they find the phantom glove. So I was like, okay, so none of them are the phantom and because they never actually say that they're the phantom. George finds the phantom glove in Charles's like kit, but I was like, okay, clearly somebody is not the phantom and somebody is trying to say that the phantom took the jewels. But I was like, okay, what if Charles is going to pin this theft on the phantom and it turns out that the whole time the phantom was the woman who planned the parties because she's the one that apparently has you know been the connection of every single phantom crime is that it all happened at her party but in the end none of that matters it's it just is the guy that you think it is the entire movie he is the phantom well because this was the 1960s and if this was made today that would be the case like if they really did do this you're right the twist would have been less obvious yes because also i think in my brain i was thinking of dirty rotten scoundrels that might be a movie for a double feature yeah the spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen dirty rotten scoundrels don't listen right now but there is a whole thing where you think a certain character, the entire movie, is the, the this master thief called the Jackal. But then it turns out in the end that it's somebody else. And they, and they were tricking you the whole movie. So I thought, because I think my brain was going like, okay, Steve Martin was in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Steve Martin is the replacement Clouseau so maybe okay my brain kind of put it together and said this will be another movie where uh there is a where you think somebody is the thief the whole time and then in the end it turns out that it wasn't that person although they did really they did give us a twist of the princess stealing it herself like she wasn't the real phantom yes but she was a phantom copycat so like that is kind of a twist she does do the thing where she blames it on the phantom because she just wants to keep it for herself which again another thing why this movie this movie has aged poorly because you know aside from the uh obvious racist stuff there also is this idea that we're rooting for charles who is the phantom and uh he is portrayed as if he is a ladies man like he's like the the movie wants you to like this guy and you go like okay he's supposed to be charming and debonair and all this kind of stuff but 
with a modern lens, we look at the guy and we go, you're a creep. <laughs> um, and he's so old. He's so much older than the princess that you're watching it going like, I don't buy this guy being the ladies man that everybody because our brains are spoiled by new movies, where in new movies, who would play that characters like Chris Hemsworth or something like somebody who's super hot, like a George Clooney type thing. But this movie, he's like, he's a very good actor, but he's not like classically handsome. He's old. He he has like this air about him of like, you look at it and you go, I know I'm supposed to like this guy more than I do like the guy. And I know that I'm supposed to not be as creeped out by his relationship with the princess as I am creeped out by it. There's this whole sequence where he's getting the princess drunk. And you're not sure why. You're like, you're scared for the whole scene. You're like, are you getting her drunk? specifically to take advantage of her or just to find out where the diamond is because i'm not sure as a viewer yes. in my mind i was like okay he's just doing it to find out where the diamond is and I, that kind of put me at ease through the whole scene but he also kisses her several times and <laughs> it's weird how he does it and mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff where also he kind of goes in um it looks like to kiss her cheek and then she turns and kisses his lips. It's very odd. The The whole scene is odd. And you go like this scene, I think back when this movie was made would have been seen more as like, yes, this is courtship. This is how a romance blossoms is that you get drunk and then you have a night together. But I was like, okay, in the modern age, <laughs> we now know more about consent and we now know more about like, okay, if somebody is this drunk, they actually can't really give consent to do all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And um, so we're watching it going like, leave her alone. Yeah. Leave her alone. Don't do this. Don't make it. Don't don't peer pressure her mm -hmm. into drinking the champagne like don't do this after she says she doesn't drink she's like i don't drink she she refuses the drink several times and then he's like come on are you scared so through the modern lens we look at this guy and say i despise this man this man is a despicable man he is gross he's weird he's too old he's a thief he's he's all of these things and the nephew his nephew is even more deplorable mm -hmm. because his nephew is just a nightmare <laughs> a nightmare and he's like i would describe him as forgive the expression a horn dog where you just go like that's all he is in the movie he just shows up and he's just horny the whole time that's the I thought that's what I was supposed to think of him. I didn't think I was supposed to like him per se. I was just like, oh, he's an annoyance and he he's too horny. And he takes everything. Like who shows up at their uncle's hotel and then sleeps in their bed without permission? Like, I, I that's weird. That's weird. That's a very entitled thing to do. Very weird. But But yes, in the end, we're like, the movie wants us to like, hope that these two guys get off uh, yeah. like they don't go to jail but we're going like no 
those two guys should go to jail for a myriad of reasons. <laughs> you know, especially Robert Wagner, just in general, with like the preying on women. Just in general, lock him up. <laughs> yes, you go. This man does not belong in society. There's like two things. <laughs> One. David Niven was a very big movie star at this time. So I remember watching it when I was younger and also agreeing, being like, ew, gross, you're too old. I don't think you're sexy. No. And then now watching it with like the lens of knowing who he was, knowing how beloved he was in Hollywood. He'd been a movie star since like the early 1930s, you know, and he's st- this is 30 years later and he's still playing like the leading man. So yeah, like, yes, it's a little past maybe when he should be doing all of this, but he... The, the character he's playing in this is similar to a lot of characters that he had played before. Um, so I think audience at home would like buy this and expect this of him kind of thing. They would have known it. They would have yeah. said, okay, he is George Clooney. He was like a Bond-esque character in people's heads. Okay. You know, the, like smooth, British, well-tailored. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So I think that's that would have been the day. Not knowing who he was, I was going, okay. Why is this guy the lead of the movie? Why isn't Peter Sellers the lead of the movie? He's Inspector Clouseau. The movie starts out saying Peter Sellers in The Pink Panther. Actually, David Niven has the top credit because yeah, Peter Sellers wasn't supposed to be the the like hit in this. This movie was written for David, uh, I almost called him David Lynch, <laughs> for David Niven to shine. David Lynch. Yeah, this movie was written for David Lynch. No, it was written for David Niven to shine. And then Peter Sellers kept stealing scenes, so they kept giving him more. And yeah. he ends up being like the breakout in this film. So much so that I think at one of the Academy Awards, they wanted to play the Pink Panther theme when David Niven walked out. And he asked them to change it because he's like, that wasn't my movie. That was like Peter Sellers movie. Like, you know, don't. I'm not the Pink Panther, you know? Um, So even he, I think, recognized that later on. But yeah, Peter Sellers steals the picture. And what I was wondering is I know he improvised a lot of stuff. And so I was wondering what was in the script for like how bumbling Clouseau was and what Peter Sellers added. Because in every scene, there is some sort of physical comedy bit um, that Peter Sellers must have come up with at some point. But yeah, he was not the original star. He was a supporting role that his role got beefed up because of what Peter Sellers was doing with the character. Wow. Yeah. Who I'm rooting for the entire time is Peter Sellers. I know that Clouseau is the main guy in the Pink Panther. That's like the only thing I know about the Pink Panther is that Clouseau is in all the movies. I don't know if any of the other characters come back. I think the princess does in one, but I don't think it's played by, I don't remember if it's played by Claudia Cardinal. I didn't see, this is the only Pink Panther film that I've seen. Right. Um, so, but I, there were nine of them in the original series, not counting the Steve Martin ones, of which there were two. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. So this goes on. Inspector Clouseau, I think, is in all of them. In this particular movie, he does very little police work. He's mostly on vacation and just uh, like bumbling around his hotel room. That's most of what he does in the, in the film. And a majority of the screen time is more about the Charles character like in his relationship with the princess. Oh, I think in his relationship with Simone too. But even then it's like, we don't really see any development on that angle. They're secret lovers and the, and that's that, you know, they're secret lovers and accomplices in the crime. And you go like, okay, that's their whole thing. There's nothing in there where like they 
doubt it. I don't think she she never really gets jealous or anything. She does a little. She's got that line where she's like, you're jealous of Jacques and I'm jealous of the princess. But they're kind of like a, we do this all the time kind of thing. And But then the princess has a much bigger story where you go like, okay, she is the person that goes like, I'm completely closed off. I don't, I don't drink. I don't do this. I don't do that. And then she has like this night with him where she like completely lets her guard down. And she is then on the floor doing this, this stuff. That's like, she's, she acts kind of like a maniac at one point where she's talking to a dead tiger that she's laying on, but she's talking about how much she loves animals. And you go like, but you're laying on this tiger skin rug. And she's talking about how she killed tigers and stuff. And you go, I don't know if you really love animals if, or if you more kill them. Um, but she has like this fairy night that you can tell it means a lot to her. You know also that it changes her because before that night she has bangs. And then after that night, she never has bangs again. So I just wanted to point out that makeup and costume choice. You know, she's changed no more bangs. There you go. And then at the end, she, she, she's the one that stole the diamond, but then Charles is going to go to jail. And she says, I'd give up the diamond to save Charles. And, and you go like, wow. Okay. I guess, um, I guess she kind of fell for him a, a little bit. And he, and to be fair, when she passes out, he does not, he doesn't do anything. He goes like, he just puts her in the bed. So you go like, okay, that's gentlemanly. But he also had the whole thing where she said, no, she didn't want to drink. And he's going like, oh, come on. All the cool kids are doing it. (laughs) (laughs) And then then she does it. So we have mixed feelings about him. But um, she like clearly, I think, kind of falls for the guy. Um, You could probably look into her psychology because she's got like weird stuff with her dad who was a dictator i guess (laughs) he had an iron fist with his people but he was good to me but he was nice to me oh god you go oh no you learned the wrong thing um so she uh and then there is this whole aspect of again the movie kind of wants us kind of to side with her But then she has that moment where she goes like, the diamond belongs to me. My father gave it to me. And the people, stupid people think it belongs to them. They're wrong. And we go, wow, she is very entitled and is siding with her dictator father over the people that she's now in charge of their country. And she's not in charge of them, apparently. There was a coup, right? Because she's exiled. I don't think she's oh, in charge she's of them exiled? anymore. I think okay. so. That's okay. what my, that was my take on it. And also in the beginning, her dad is like, the people gave me this diamond. And I'm like, did they? Because in the beginning, he's like, I do such a good job as dictator. The people gave me a diamond and now it is yours. Um, and you're like, oh, <laughs> shit. Wow. I don't I don't know about that. Also, I do want to point out at that point, they did cast like an Indian young girl to be the daughter. So I was like, oh, good. Okay, we have that. And then she's supposed to grow up to be the Italian Claudia Cardinale. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know about that. 
I don't think that's okay. But she has eyeliner on. I was grateful they didn't put her in brown face, but I was still like, ooh, this that's rough. And I know we're talking about this like people at home. Like it's, you know, it is modern Lindsay cringy. However, it is a it is a fun caper. Like it is fun. You're gonna have fun at the movies. You just it there's a lot that doesn't that doesn't hold up. This movie made was made in 1963, so expect some garbage going going into it. But you know it's it's obvious that this movie is very influential it's historical you go like there are many things that came after this movie this movie influenced many other movies it's like it is you know one of those defining movies of the caper genre you know of the farcical caper so i think that it has a lot of historical value you know certainly in the development of film and it is fun it's like peter sellers is always is always great and uh the guy's creepy charles but you but you go you know he's he's a great actor i do want to make the point too that you were like i'm rooting for inspector clouseau i am not they're whatever story they're telling i was following it because i was like uh he's so gross the idea of having sex with him the fact that like capucine has to have sex with him you're like ew you're always rooting it for it to like not happen and it always doesn't Inspector happen like something Clouseau. yeah i don't want them to have sex i get so worried for her because you right. know he can't he just wants to have sex with her and she they, she keeps finding ways to not have sex with him she keeps getting lucky there's that one line i think where right. she's like uh it's times like this when i realize how lucky i am after he's like called away to go to work right before he wants to have sex with her right and he takes that as a romantic thing and we at the audience are like ha, 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 you don't have to sleep with him great so that you know i always feel bad for her but then the david niven thing i think it's all like an act because in my head he and Simone are very much in love with each other. So I think he puts on a Don Juan act for like the world. Mm -hmm. And I think the princess, I think they have a connection. I don't know if it's like love, but I think if there's a connection there of like, he helps her let go of her inhibitions in some way. So I don't know if it's love necessarily, or just like a connection that allows her to be like, you know what? I'm going to try more shit. Maybe it's yeah. love. I don't know. But I think his dedication to Simone, because in my brain, they are actually like very much in love and they're going to like see this through together. They're going to look out for each other. They have each other's back. So to me, that's like the real love story. I was not rooting for them at all. I said, they're the bad guys. They're the people that are stealing the stuff and Clouseau's got to catch them, you know? And I was like, in my brain, I was going like, poor clueless Clouseau is that he's a guy who his wife is clearly tricking him the whole time. It's not like she acts like she doesn't want to have sex with him. She's going like, yes, come to bed, come to bed. Yes, come to bed. Kiss me right now, you know, to distract him. And he goes, oh, okay. And, and then there is that really funny part where they're in the bed and she goes, I'm a bundle of nerves. And he goes, oh, well, I know how to, we can fix that. And you think he's talking about sex, but then he starts playing violin for her. Yeah. <laughs> and and, yeah, you, and it's bad. And he's really bad at it. And it's a Stradivarius, I want to mention. There's only like a couple of those in the world. It's like the most expensive fancy violin you could play and he's butchering it. He's terrible at it. How I view Clouseau is he is completely innocent and clueless and stupid and she has married him specifically so that she can pull the wool over his eyes and 
and do crimes, but uh, yeah. right under his nose. So because they started doing the crimes when she married him. So yes. I was like, okay, Wait, this there's is an okay. inconsistency. Yeah, the 20 years versus the 10 years. Cause they were like, you've been the Phantom for 20 years, but the 10 years is when the Phantom and Clouseau have been kind of involved with the stealing from the parties. So yeah, there was an inconsistency there. The Yes, the movie forgot that it said 20 years earlier. You know, you gotta take what they say at the end, not what they say at the beginning. He could have been it for 20 years though, but only have been doing this party circuit for the last 10 was how, how I explained it to myself. In looking at it, I was like, okay, Clouseau is the only character in this thing that to me seemed like, okay, he's doing his job. He's, and he's also very nice to his wife. He's a sweetie. He's, he's a sweetheart. He's going like, She's like, I need a, I need a warm glass of milk. He says, but the kitchen is closed. And then he says, but I will make them open the kitchen. <laughs> and he's like going to, he'll do anything for her. And he's like, you know, this character that's like, oh, he's so stupid. He goes, oh, my wife loves me. She's constantly calling me my love, my darling, all this stuff. And then constantly there's an excuse of why they are not going to have sex. And he is not bothered by it at all because he's a guy who's like, yes, of course, I, I don't care whatever my wife wants. So to me, I'm endeared to Clouseau. He's the sweetest character. He's the most innocent character. He's like the dumbest character and he's, and he's funny. They never miss an opportunity to have him fall or drop something. My favorite comic bit is when he goes in to get the sleeping pills and you hear him drop the sleeping <laughs> pills. He doesn't react to the that he's dropped the pills. You just hear all the pills dropping. And then as he's walking out, you hear his feet crunching the pills and you go like, this is so funny. And Peter Sellers does such a good job like minimizing all of it. Let's break down our favorite Peter Sellers moments in this film. Um, and I do want to say to me, you're right, he's very endearing, um, but it does seem like it would be impossible to live with someone who's that bumbling. So even though he's so sweet, if he's constantly accidentally knocking you over or, you know, like I, I get how that yes, would be difficult. Yes, there is a lot of funny stuff where he's constantly like knocking her over and picking her up and pulling her off the bed and going oh so so sorry my dear i was just trying to kiss your foot i'm so sorry and she's going like all right it's fine it's fine <laughs> so i get that that'd be hard but i feel like um he's very like golden girls rose from golden girls like the naive yes. sweet not so bright but like add klutziness times a million to that. So like, yes, incredibly endearing. Um, but I wrote down some of my favorite moments and one of them, I think my top favorite moment is when he goes in to kiss her, he's wearing a hat and the hat falls over her face. And he's like, don't panic. Don't worry. <laughs> like yes. my hat has just fallen on your face. Don't worry, my dear. What has happened is my hat has been caught on one of your naughty little hairpins. That's <laughs> what he says. It kills me because <laughs> it's so silly that she wouldn't realize what has just happened. And she, he thinks she might be freaking out because his hat fell over her eyes. Love it. Yeah. Um, and then the violin stuff we mentioned, that's all great. And then he breaks the Stradivarius and you're like, Oh, dear Lord, there's not many of these and you have broken it, you fool. That was another moment where I was like, okay, this man loves his wife so much. He got up in the dark to go do this thing for her. And then he comes back and steps on 
what he clearly cares about his violin and then he picks it up and rather than getting mad or anything like that he goes you've seen one Stradivari- Stradivarius you've seen them all <laughs> and he shrugs it's it off great. so you go yeah. like he's very sweet he's so devoted to his wife and they have a, they even have the part where she's dancing with Charles or whatever and she's saying yeah well he has a lot of redeeming qualities yeah she does He's, he's sweet, kind. he's kind, he's loyal, he, you know, and you go, he's a, he's a dog, you know, he's a stupid, happy, devoted dog. It's like childlike too. He's got like an, a childlike innocence about him. And when they have that scene where they're all dancing around the fireplace and the singer like chooses him to follow her and dance with her, him dancing, the look of like joy on his face and like the freedom in his body. You're like, oh, this is so sweet. I, that's another one of my favorites. Um, as is the Stein, he burns his hand on the yes. fireplace, shoves it in the beer Stein, can't get it out. My favorite part of the Stein thing is when he sticks his hand in the thing and the other guy goes, that's my beer, my man. That's my beer, old man. And then in the end with the candle, when he lights the um, yeah. when he lights oh, the firework yeah. on fire and he's like, what kind of candle is this? What kind like, of oh. candle? What sort of a candle is this? <laughs> he's an idiot. They just do a lot of great stuff with Inspector Clouseau, where he's like, he walks out a door and he goes the wrong way and then just walks back the the way that he came. There's the part where at the end he's going to see the two prisoners and they're walking through the jail and and he points to a cell and he goes let me in and then they go but inspector like because it's they're not, <laughs> not in the that wrong. cell and he says please i'm in a hurry i don't have any time to waste and then he goes into an empty cell and then comes back out he's he's just very silly and funny and then he puts his hands into the into the, the porridge. porridge oh god i love the hand porridge He's, yes. he's talking hard with these criminals and I forget exactly what he says to them, but it's kind of like, if you do not cooperate with me and then he, you know, it's like threatening and then he sticks his hands in the porridge as he's leaning forward to deliver whatever serious Yeah, it says something like, I, I'm glad you like it because you're going to be here for the next 20 years. And he puts his hands <laughs> in the porridge. I love it. He just shakes them off. Yeah, that um, was one of the ones I wrote. I wrote, I wrote poor chance. That's a great, I chance. love that part. And yes. then just the, the bits with the door handle, how he can't even open the door right. It's always locked or unlocked. It's always the wrong thing. And then the handle comes off. I think it's also, it is very funny. So you said his wife is played by a model? Yes. Oh, not only that, she was supposed to be played. So actually, Peter Ustinov was supposed to be um, Inspector Clouseau. So Peter Ustinov ends up being like Hercule Poirot in the the series like he's the second and third Poirot in the name of the fourth actually he ends up being Poirot in the British Agatha Christie stuff yeah. which is like you know another famous inspector but yeah he was supposed to play Clouseau um and I forget why he had to back out but he did and then Ava Gardner was supposed to be his the wife and then she turned it down mm-hmm. because they weren't gonna like give her money for a staff on set so she was like oh no I'm out and then Janet Lee was gonna do it but the it filmed on location in Europe and she couldn't be away from her kids for that long she felt so she stayed in the states so it ends up going to this um to Capucine who is uh, a model she modeled for Givenchy and for Dior um, and she became because of Givenchy, which was like Audrey Hepburn's, uh, Audrey Hepburn had like a working relationship with Givenchy where she would wear their clothes in her films. Yeah. So okay. she became really good friends with Capucine and they were friends her whole life. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but you get those vibes from it. Like she didn't really do a lot of acting stuff. She did like what's new pussycat. Um, but she, I think she was mainly known for being a model, but she gives you Audrey Hepburn vibes in this. She does. And Blake Edwards also directed Breakfast at Tiffany's. So I think there's a lot of stylistic things that are very similar, including the way Capucine looks and feels. And she really can do the physical comedy. There's the bit where she's at the bar and she's like smoking and she starts coughing and like bangs her head and everything. And I was like, that's a great bit of physical comedy. And then when she falls off the bed, when he, when he's doing the thing with her foot and she's sliding all over the place, I thought she was fantastic. So the idea that she was a model and not like someone who actually had a history doing that kind of physical comedy stuff is she's just a natural because i thought she was very good at what she did well she has an elegance too so it's like really cool to see someone who's like very sexy and elegant oh by the way yves saint laurent did all the clothes in this all the women's clothes and it's like gorgeous the fashion in this is just stunning it's so beautiful um but she can handle the capery moments of like i'm doing the quick change in the elevator and i'm elegant and quick and i'm a thief and i'm cool right she has all Mm -hmm. that plus the physical comedy so i love that she can do like we really buy both of those things and she's still elegant with the physical comedy which is like oh my goodness how are you pulling that off yes so i really enjoyed that that's pretty much all Peter Sellers does in the movie, though. Even just walking into a room, he'll find a way to flip the rug. And you're like, oh, you won't let anything go to waste. You'll accidentally pick someone's nose. You'll flip a rug. Oh, that's the other bit that's really funny is when he goes to kiss the princess's hand and the other inspector goes to shake her hand and he ends up kissing the other inspector's hand. That's really cute. Inspector Clouseau is such a legendary character it's always interesting to go back and say and see how such iconic characters started um because he has a very humble beginning like what you said this movie was not intended for him to be the breakout star but then it so clearly is he becomes the lead of the series he's in every movie also his costume is so iconic you know, the coat and the hat. Um, It's like so iconic that like Inspector Gadget is Inspector Clouseau. Um, Even in the original design of Inspector Gadget, he had the mustache like Inspector Clouseau, but then for like copyright reasons, I guess they had to get rid of the mustache uh, for the actual series. But Inspector Clouseau is the prototype for that bumbling detective who accidentally does everything. Well, and he does solve the case, even though he's so bumbling. He does figure out it's David Niven's character. He does. But this is the other thing about the movie of why I was shocked, where I was like, wait, it ends where he gets framed and then goes to jail? And I was like, wow. I was expecting Inspector Clouseau to like pull it off and like win in the end. But the movie, this movie, the intention was Inspector Clouseau is annoying and stupid. And it's funny that we sent him to jail. It's weird because the heroes of the movie, the protagonists are the thieves. 
and we're supposed to be rooting for the thieves. I did not expect that going in. I went in fully behind Inspector Clouseau, and then I was like, huh, why? he needs to be in this movie more. Why isn't he in this movie more? And then in the end, I was like, oh, he doesn't win. He loses. The thieves win. And he then goes to jail. And that's another reason why I was like, okay, his wife is terrible because she's like tricking. She's been tricking him for 10 years so that she can be close to him and, and pull off these crimes. She is lying to him constantly, constantly tricking him. He's so nice to her. And then in the end, she sends him to jail. Well, but she does feel bad about it. She's like, I don't want him to rot in jail. And they're like, don't worry, he won't. But she still sends him to jail. You know, she still picks the thief over him. This movie came out during the production code, right? The the Hayes Code ends in the late 60s. So this is still falling under the Hayes Code. But they get away with so much because part of what the Hayes Code says is that the hero has to win and the bad guys have to lose. So it's fascinating to me that because this is a comedy, Comedy and because they kind of quote unquote make it okay for the like they make his going to jail kind of an okay thing by making him a hero about it. I think that's how they get it past the Hayes Code. Plus all of the scenes in the bedroom, like them sharing a bed, um, or they find ways of like getting past the Hayes yeah. Code. Like they'll just show their legs during scenes that are supposed to be like love making scenes. They just show the window and like the bottom half of the bed, so you don't totally see what's going on. And so I thought it was so impressive the way they got around the Hayes Code consistently and that it was shocking that this doesn't, I guess, totally follow the Hayes Code because the bad guys do win. But we're rooting for the bad guys because they're the protagonists. We've all seen, you know, like Ocean's Eleven, all that kind of stuff where the thieves are the protagonists and we're rooting for them. Inspector Clouseau is the bad guy of the movie. He's trying to catch the main characters. But then it's just strange how they make him so endearing and then he becomes the main character of all the sequels. It's like how in Terminator 2, Terminator becomes the good guy and he's the good guy in every other sequel. So we in our brains go like Terminator equals good guy. And then you (laughs) might go back to the first movie and be surprised that he's the bad guy. Um, So that's kind of what this movie's like. Only this movie, it's not like Inspector Clouseau is mean or evil at all. He's so endearing the whole time but he is the antagonist of the film and he does lose and he gets framed and then goes to jail. But clearly he does get out based on the sequels. So he's not in there for too long. We know that he he's okay. Is Does his wife ever return? Oh, I don't think so. She's in South America with David Niven. That's sad. His 10 year marriage was a, was a lie. But he's so bumbling he might not realize that. Like, he's so bumbling in his brain. He's probably like, well, she left me because I'm a thief, right? That's how bumbling he is. So I don't think he's going to take it too hard. I think he's going to move on and keep enjoying his life in the present at each moment. Like you said, he's like a puppy. So I think each new present moment will be fine for him. Yes, I think the movies will say, don't think about that. Don't worry too hard. He's not sad and you shouldn't be either. It is like a grown-up cartoon for sure. A grown-up cartoon that's got like sexiness in it, but they add the cartoon elements of like one Clouseau being bumbling, but two things like when Robert Wagner's skiing and his skis like run over David Niven and David Niven looks like he's squished 
in the snow with the ski marks over, you know, it's, they find ways to be really cartoonish. And I just like want to chat about maybe Blake Edwards, the director, to me, Blake Edwards is like a really great director. He's a great writer too. He starts off doing like radio stuff and he writes the series called Richard Diamond Private Detective that kind of has a very similar vibe to this. I listen to it a lot on my classic radio program. Um, but it's like, you know, slightly misogynistic detective because, you know, it's the 50s. Um, solves kind of ridiculous crimes and is really deadpan and hilarious. And it's played by Dick Powell. Um, but it has like a similar capery vibe to this, like a cozy caper vibe. And it's very smart, but still very funny. Um, and I associate Blake Edwards with being like a very stylish director. I mean, the movies he ends up directing that you would all know at home, Breakfast at Tiffany's is obviously his biggest hit. And that's like a, a it's a dramedy because there's sad moments. It's a comedic film yeah. with some real deep moments and uh, unfortunate Asian stereotypes as well. This movie has Asian stereotypes and yeah, that, that movie has. Yeah, it, it also <laughs> aged poorly. But it's still very stylish, very charming, very like kind of clever zippy like it's got a lot of these qualities in it um and then he also does like days of wine and roses about like an alcoholic couple that's like a really great film and he does victor victoria with his wife julie andrews um which is also a really lovely film and julie andrews and him were married for so long they were married i think from 1969 until his death in 2010 and she loved him so much like every interview she has where she talks about him she's just like he was the best. I loved him. <laughs> and they sound like just couple goals. They sound really lovely. Um, and he grew up, I mean, he grew up in Beverly Hills. He was from Oklahoma, grew up at Beverly Hills, went to Beverly Hills High School, tried to be an actor for a couple of years before he joined the Coast Guard. And when he was an actor, he worked with like John Ford and Otto Preminger and he like absorbed being on set with them and what they were doing. He was in the Coast Guard in World War II. He got a back injury, which affected him for the rest of his life. Um, but yeah, he becomes a, a very, I think a very stylish director is how I would put it. His movies are fun and they're stylish. Um, and then I also want to talk about, you know, Henry Mancini, um, because he and Blake Edwards work together a lot. Moon River is part of like their collaboration, the Breakfast at Tiffany's song that is so, so famous. Um, but in this, this version, we get the Pink Panther theme and we get a song called Meglios Tacera, but it's like, dun, 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 dun. It's like Italian bossa nova that's super fun and catchy. It's played throughout the film in the underscoring almost as much as the Pink Panther theme. Um, And one of my favorite parts of the movie is the fake music video that we get for that song. And it's so interesting. It's sung by this woman, Fran Jeffries. And um, (laughs) the way they do this song in the film is they pose it as like everyone's hanging out at this lodge and this woman is is presumably like the performing act even though she's like the fake cousin she's like the mistress she's a guest she's in the movie earlier yes with uh, a man who's clearly she's his mistress but he's like it's my cousin my third cousin (laughs) so she's there she's very pretty um but she sings this song but she's singing to us she's breaking the fourth wall singing into the camera there's choreography but it's still a part of the film like she still gets peter sellers involved and we still like check in with certain guests and i just really love this moment i think it's really well choreographed and fun and i love that there are six people in the background specifically playing maracas and tambourines i really enjoy that they were like we need six maraca men please just put them in the back so yes, I wanted to shout that out. And I wanted to shout out that 
Um, there are Italian lyrics and English lyrics. The Italian lyrics are by Franco Migliacci, but the English lyrics are by Johnny Mercer, who also worked with Mancini on Moon River. So those are the facts about that. And fun side story. When I first went to the John Williams concert at the Hollywood Bowl, like a long time ago, like a decade ago, Julie Andrews was the opening act and she was playing them. She was like, hello, everyone. My husband, Blake Edwards, passed not too long ago. And I want to honor him by supporting his partnership with Henry Mancini. So I got to like see Julie Andrews live, talk about Henry Mancini. And then I got to hear the LA Philharmonic play a lot of Mancini music. And it was really, really cool. So that's really cool. Yeah, Yeah, it was it was wonderful. Yeah, the theme song in this movie is so famous. I would say the most famous things about this movie is one, the theme song, two, the Pink Panther, three, Inspector Clouseau. Nick, do you want to sing the theme song for us a little bit? Yes. It's the song that I would say people know, even if they don't know, it's the Pink Panther. And it's the one that goes, da-na, da-na. Oh, it's, I think, maybe one of the greatest theme songs of all time. It's it's so good. And it captures the film. It's like jazzy, capery, sneaky. Like, it's fun. It's a good, it's a good theme song. It's a great song. And it's, again, so famous. I, I, I feel like everybody knows that song, even if they mm-hmm. don't know the movie the pink panther it's a great song and like everybody's covered it like so many famous jazz musicians have covered it because it's so good it's a delight i miss songs like that in movies Mm -hmm. it's like i wish that movies had songs again um because i can't i can't 100 percent remember scores anymore but like this this movie has has the song in it and you'll remember it forever it's like they play it enough times that you can watch the movie just once and say, oh, yeah, that's the song from Pink Panther. And everyone will remember. Um, do you want to talk about like the title sequence really quick? The cartoon credit sequence? Um, we kind of talked about it earlier. But that's like where the character of the Pink Panther that will become the cartoon in the future, that's where that character comes to life. Um, something I liked about it too this time was uh, I noticed that in when they introduced Claudia Cardinale, uh, her sign, he like whistles at her name and she slaps it. And I was like, oh, and they do that in the movie too. They add her slap. But yeah, I felt like it was a setup for the film. Um, it was weird to see like... <laughs> the pink panther have a gun to his head and then like have to get the the names right because he didn't do them right and then he's the one that gets shot but yeah i liked i was trying to think of all the specific gags that they do but it does really set up the film were there any that like shouted out to you that you were like ah this gag in this opening sequence is great again this movie has a lot of conventions that don't really happen anymore and i wish that they would happen this is like a thing that used to happen in movies is you would have a comedy or some sort of uh, a live action movie that would have a animated opening titles scene. I don't know if there are any like the Pink Panther where the character, where the animated character in the beginning becomes so famous that he's <laughs> more famous than the actual movie. Yeah. But um you know, I, I remember like in the movie Troop Beverly Hills, there's uh, an animated opening sequence. Yeah. 
City Slickers. In City Slickers, in both the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids mm-hmm. movies, in the movie Don't Tell Her It's Me, uh, there's a there's an animated opening. Uh, it, it's like, it's a great opportunity to work things in because in the Pink Panther, again, they work in this fun little character because it's like you, you may not even remember that the Pink Panther is the diamond that they're trying to steal, but they give you this idea of like, okay, here's a thing to personify that this movie is cartoony it was really smart saying we're going to attach a character to the diamond so that you remember the diamond and you remember what the diamond is called and uh and it's also something that's there for the kids. Back in the day, I feel like title sequences were an overture kind of to get audiences settled and quiet. And nowadays we have dispersed with them. So even though movies are extra long now, I feel like they've cut out title sequences because audiences, the way they view things are different. Like audiences don't really need an overture anymore. So they've just cut it. They're like, just get right to the story. Screw the title sequence. We don't need it. And I agree with you. I miss a good title sequence. I really, I genuinely appreciate them. The big movies that killed the title sequence are like the star wars movies george lucas had immense problems trying to say i don't want opening credits because i want to do this title crawl in the very beginning so i can't have opening credits i have to have a title crawl he had a really hard time trying to do it so it's weird that star wars is one of those movies that came in to redefine what movies are like and started the process of killing the opening title sequence. But Star Wars has one of the most famous overtures ever. You go like the Star Wars, every single movie starts with So it's like, even though it doesn't have opening credits, it has an opening with an overture and text um, that is just as famous, the, probably the most famous op- movie opening of all time. You know, I definitely see the trend of getting rid of the opening titles because you want to just jump right into the action. I, I totally get that. But if you have a good enough song, that can be something that sticks in our brains that can hook us right in the beginning and it becomes very memorable for you know every musical ever starts with the with the overture and an opening song i think movies should pick that back up more animated opening sequences well and i do think now that i'm thinking about it when i was like Nora efron did them and her movies all they always felt very charming and she usually had some sort of opening credit sequence that tied into the film and it wasn't necessarily animated but like, and you've got mail, it's like a computerized world that's being built. And that movie's about like communicating through the internet. And it's got like very charming music. Same with Sleepless in Seattle. It's got the map of the country and the stars. Like, so there are clever ways of doing it in the modern world. And I think people, people should try it out more. It's really fun. It's interesting that we talk about you've got mail and um, Sleepless in Seattle. Like those are modern movies. They are, <laughs> they are. From- They're from the nineties and the nineties is now. Remember when people used to go, it's the 90s, because that meant it was modern. Remember that? I loved it when people would say, welcome to the 90s. There's two things I want to talk about before we head out. One, 
is I love that the princess is the one that solves the problem. I like that in the end, the problem of how do we get out of this? The guys that we like are in jail. Uh, how do we save them? I like that the princess is like, I've got an idea and it works. And I like that the two women working together are what resolve it. Because as you will recall earlier in the film, there are lines like when a woman has competition, it gets ugly. And you're like, oh, yuck, ew. So I like that the women work together to solve the problem and it's a smart fix and it works. So I like that and I want to shout it out. And then I also just like love the art direction of this film. I think that's part of the joy of it is how cozy and gorgeous it looks. The colors are beautiful. The fireplace, the skiing, all of it's beautiful. And then the costumes by Yves Saint Laurent, specifically for the women. I don't know who designed the men's costumes, but Yves Saint Laurent for the women. When the princess is wearing that black dress that has like the kind of sheer top, but with the long sleeves and they're sparkly. I was like, I want that dress. I want to buy it. I know it's thousands of dollars, but it's beautiful. I loved all their cone-shaped hats because they had to have cone-shaped hats because their hair was so high. I love all of that. It's so stylish, so 60s. And I do love the plot point that they really made it. Yves Saint Laurent, like he designed it and they really made it that in the film. And they make it like Clouseau is so stupid that he doesn't realize his wife is clearly getting money from somewhere else. He's like, how do you do this on a police officer's salary? And like, you know, he really believes that she has saved up money that he has earned to buy these very expensive, what is it, $30,000 in Yves Saint Laurent? $30,000 on clothes, yeah. Yeah, but it's gorgeous. The costuming is just stunning. I am here for it. And I wanted to shout it out. And then them setting up Robert Wagner as the Phantom, but that never coming to fruition because Inspector Clouseau was the breakout character. Um, yeah, do you have anything? I mean, we didn't really talk about the party too much, but I think it was covered in just that it was like very silly and fun. It's it's a goofy climax, you know. Inspector Clouseau's in a in a suit of armor that he can hardly move in, and there are two gorilla costumes. Very silly stuff. Two gorilla costumes. The zebra. The zebra killed me. Because the zebra also shows up in the chase scene. So there's all the cars going around. And then every now and then the two-person zebra will clop through. And it's funny when the zebra puts its little zebra muzzle into the punch and drinks it. That's how the people in the costume drink the punch is the zebra's face goes into it. For some reason that works. (laughs) Oh, and just I really want to really bring it home that Robert Wagner's character in this is just a monster. I really... No redeeming qualities. Hate him. Hate him. He's handsome and that's it. That's the only thing that's decent about him is his looks. Hate hate the character. Um, Wanted him so badly to go to jail. But no, the one character that I liked went to jail instead. The ending should have just been that Robert Wagner went to jail. I would have been fine with that because he was awful and clearly a predator. He joins the family business. They say it was charming that he was such a liar and such a sexual predator. <laughs> when you are sleeping in bed and a woman climbs into your bed that you do not know, you're immediately like, well, she's obviously here to see me, even though you're sleeping in your uncle's bed. I was like, no, you are dumb, sir. And when he finally figures it out, he's so full of himself that he can't see that she's trying to cover it up because he's like, well, obviously she'd be into me. Have you seen me? Who wouldn't? And you're like, ah. The part that's so maniacal is when she's trying to teach him how to ski and then he's like grabbing her as they're on this mountain and everything and you go like, just have him ski off a cliff. 
He's just awful, which is funny because he will go on to play Jonathan Hart and Heart to Heart, who is like the sweetest, charmingest man. And you're like, yeah. oh, wow, Robert Wagner, both sides. Nothing against the actor, just the character is despicable. But we're supposed to like the character. Yeah. Although like Robert Wagner, there's stuff about him where it's like, so I I love the TV show Heart to Heart. I really do. And a lot of people mm-hmm. are uncomfortable because Robert Wagner it was there at the time of Natalie Wood's death and no one will ever really know what happened. And so there is that whole like Natalie Wood wow. drowning um, the boat thing that will kind of always be a part of him. Sarah, this is all stuff that I know nothing about. I just wanted to let our viewers know like that's a thing, but I don't know enough and I still like his movies and stuff. Um, I want to just really quickly talk about the scene where there are three men hiding in the room, all trying to escape from Inspector Clouseau. We have Robert Wagner, who's hiding under the bed, but hiding in the bathroom, hiding in the bathroom closet. That closet spins around. It's fun. David Niven's hiding on the balcony. Eventually he falls in the snow. (laughs) They've got some great moments there. I just wanted to like bring in that scene. Do you have anything you want to say about that scene really quick? This is a style (laughs) that again, is not super popular nowadays. Um, which is a farce. A farce is usually characterized by um, literally characters coming in and out of doors and hiding from each other and going like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in here. No, I'm in here. This was much more popular in like theater um, and plays. A lot of plays are farces because you have like, you're in one room and, uh, and, like characters are coming in and out and kind of that's the gag is like oh i just missed this character who's now under the bed and now this character is behind the curtains and yeah this movie has is a farcical caper and that's where the farce comes in i want to go through the cast a little david niven played charles Lytton. people at home you might know him from a matter of life and death which is a great film around the world in 80 days the oscar winning one he was phileas fogg Separate Tables, um, The Bishop's Wife. He plays the Bishop, Dawn Patrol. He's like a star from the 30s through the 60s. Um, Peter Sellers, you may know from Being There and Dr. Strangelove. Robert Wagner, you would know from the series Heart to Heart, which again, I love. Um, And like Austin Powers was a second act for him. He plays the older number two. I was like, that's where I know him from is Austin Powers. he was Prince Valiant in the Prince Valiant film. And then um, he's with Natalie Wood. He was married to Natalie Wood. Again, we mentioned like there's a little bit of stuff about that. So go look it up. Um, but they were in all the fine young cannibals together, which I feel like I watched as a teenager and liked. So teenage Sarah, I think, recommends it. And he's in The Towering Inferno, the great 70s disaster film. Uh, and then Claudia Cardinale, we mentioned she's the princess, Princess Dalla. She's an eight and a half, Once Upon a Time in the West. And then Capucine was in um, this and What's New Pussycat and was friends with Audrey Hepburn for life. So the, that's those. That's all the stuff, all the people, all the cast. So we are going to head into the modern lens portion of this podcast. We've mentioned what doesn't hold up, but I'm just going to list them and we can add stuff if we need to. So Princess Dalla as played by Claudia Cardinale, who is very beautiful. It just should be mentioned. But again, I mentioned she's an Italian actress, but she's playing an Indian character, which is awkward, especially, you know, because- yeah, it's not good and she's not she's not wearing brown face thank god but some of the other people involved in the whole india storyline are and you're like oh mm-hmm. i'm uncomfortable so there's all of that there's the diamond and how her dad was a dictator and how the diamond belongs to the people but she's keeping it and she thinks she has a right to keep it there's that so like the politics of her country and all of this 
Um, the gender stereotypes are pretty rough. There's a lot of like, this makes you a man and this makes you a woman. And like, there's that line that David Niven says to her where she's like, what happened last night? And he's like, oh, you're trying to act like you forgot. And he's like, you're worried about what might've happened. That just makes you a woman. And you're like, ew, gross. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really not cool. So a lot of stuff like that. All of the drunk kind of like take advantage of women adjacent stuff is pretty icky. Getting a woman drunk so that you can sleep with her. Gross, gross, gross. All of that's really uncomfortable. Yes, but uh, but I, I, it's unclear whether or not he's trying to sleep with her or if he's trying to get information about a diamond that he's trying well, to steal. The idea of like, in order to seduce someone... I have to get them drunk. Just like that idea of being in a film. That's no good. And Robert Wagner not listening to the word no, um, basically attacking any woman around him to try to sleep with them. That's pretty icky. All the heroes in this film do not take no for an answer. It's pretty gross. The only the only person who respects the no is Inspector Clouseau. Yes, but it's also a little icky because it is sort of a consensual relationship, but it's also not. And that's why it's weird and icky because like she doesn't want to sleep with him, but she will to keep her position, to keep in the game. And so that's the only thing that makes it icky. And it's not his fault. But he doesn't know. It's she's telling him, yeah, come on, let's sleep together so that my real boyfriend can sneak out the back. It's not Inspector Clouseau's fault. So if you're going in there expecting to like Inspector Clouseau, you'll be pleasantly surprised. The backward countries line that Robert Wagner has too is a little icky um, because he's clearly scum and slime and he's like, I'm going to join the Peace Corps and fix all those backward countries. And you're like, oh, yikes. Yeah. And the, all the women rivalries, the competition always makes a woman ugly kind of stuff. You know, we're rivals. I don't like any of that. Um, so yeah, that's, do you have any that you'd like to add to that modern lens? list watching this film itself on top of all of that kind of cultural stuff i think that the legacy of the film has now outweighs the actual film where i say me going into it i now go into this movie expecting a certain thing it's like going in to watch the first friday the 13th expecting to see Jason Voorhees and he's not there. We all know Inspector Clouseau is the main character of the series. So you may go into this movie expecting Inspector Clouseau to be the primary character and he is not, um, but he is very funny. Um, so now we're moving on to the double feature portion of this show. If you liked this film, I would say you should check out, I think How to Steal a Million would be a great pairing with this. That's Audrey Hepburn and um, Peter O'Toole. Very stylish. It's a caper. There's an art thief. It it has like another gorgeous palette. So check that out. Um, I think Charade, also with Audrey Hepburn, came out this same year. Really stylish, really fun. Um, I feel like check out the Richard Diamond Private Detective series, which was Blake Edwards' radio show that he had. It's really entertaining, smart, well-written, fun. Um Check out all the Pink Panther series. There's nine of them. Um, A Shot in the Dark is the next one after this. So maybe start there. I would say also On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is a James Bond film. That's the George Lazenby James Bond film. To me, this felt very similar. I mentioned David Niven was kind of like 
a James Bond prototype-esque figure. So I feel like um, watching on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which has like an epic ski chase scene, would be a really good pairing. Um, the Thomas Crown Affair. Not the old one, because that one makes me mad. The newer one is less uh, misogynistic. And um, yeah, like To Catch a Thief. Oh, To Catch a Thief. Hitchcock's To Catch a Thief. You should check out. There's a costume party. Yeah, that's a There's great There's a one. caper. There are thieves. It's on the French Riviera. Yes. Um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, mm-hmm. Nick had mentioned. I hadn't thought of that, but also mm-hmm. a great pairing. Breakfast at Tiffany's, if you want more Blake Edwards. It's a, it's another uh, iconic movie. Iconic and flawed film. Also has nice dresses and um, fancy cigarette holders. Um, and then I wrote uh, Heart to Heart, the television show. I enjoy it a lot. And it kind of feels like uh, this movie, but on a TV show in the 80s. Um, and I did write What's Up, Doc, but that's more just because it's like the cartoon aspect. Like What's Up, Doc is is also like a real life cartoon, but it's more zany than this. But those are all of mine. Nick, do you have any? I took Dirty Rotten Scoundrels from you. No, that's okay. Um, That one's like very con artists. Uh, but it's, again, a comedy, like a crime comedy. Uh, then uh, I would say... Even I, because Inspector Clouseau to me is like an Inspector Pureau kind of kind of thing. Um, I think that that's who it is kind of lampooning or making fun of is the Agatha Christie. So maybe check out some of those movies like Murder on the Orient Express and all that kind of stuff. Well, and if you want to see Peter Ustinov do it. Because he was supposed to play uh, Peter Sellers. The ones he was in were Death on the Nile, Evil Under the Sun. He's in those ones specifically, but Murder on the Orient Express is the best. If one. you want more of a French detective. He's Belgian. Oh, he's Belgian? That's the whole joke they make a lot. They're like, the famous French detective. And he's like, I'm Belgian. He does. He says oh. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. I, d- I just illustrated the joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so there's that. And then... Um, I would also say if you're if you're looking for like caper stuff, there is the great Muppet caper that is a silly fun movie where Muppets are are stopping a jewel thief. Um, you know, there are things like Get Smart. Yeah. That was another like goofy goofy TV show. Yeah. Um, but those that's what I'd say. That's what I'd suggest. Well, Nick, thank you so much for being here. I mean, I know we we did tear this movie apart, people at home, but I swear it's like a very fun film with a lot of flaws, but you would probably still like it just for the fun aspect and for the wintry, cozy, beautiful looking movie aspect of it. So it's stylish. It's fun. Give it a shot, but also be very aware. If you're sick of the same holiday movies again and again, and you don't want to watch, you know, like any new holiday movies this is one that you go it is holiday adjacent it has a Mm -hmm. lot of snow a lot lot of of snow snow in this one snow and fireplaces you know all right well nick thank you so much for being here oh or how can people find you and is there anything that's like coming up for you that's fun that you want to share on the show you know i'm part of a a theater company called star kid productions uh star kid is actually on tour right now i'm not involved in the tour but uh they are on tour they just finished their first weekend and they've got two more weekends of this tour if you want to go see star kid in concert they're doing like a it's like a holiday tour so the first half has um 
kind of Starkid songs, and then the second half is a like a retelling, like a musical retelling of Christmas Carol, um, that has like an eighties kind of funky pop vibe to it. Um, so that is happening um, in the Midwest this upcoming weekend. So like in Chicago and in Michigan. And then uh, the weekend after that is going to be the West Coast dates. So that's going to be in San Francisco and Los Angeles. So there's that. And then um, I've, I'm uh, going to be directing a new musical that is going to be coming out next February is when we are doing the live shows in Los Angeles in North Hollywood at a theater called the El Portal. And it is um, a slasher comedy musical uh, called Nerdy Prudes Must Die, um, where there's a high school where all of the nerdiest kids in the school are getting picked off by a by a mysterious supernatural killer and they have to uh you know it's a slasher you've seen those so it's but this one's funny and it's a musical and the music's really fun and so nerdy prudes must die that's coming up well nick it was so nice to chat with you and have you on the show thanks for being here it was very good to be back thank you for having me and thanks for uh having me watch the pink panther it was fun we will see you all next time on talk classic to me you have been listening to talk classic to me with sarah greenfield that's me my guest this week was nick lang they will be featured on our instagram page If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe and maybe even find us on anchor.fm to become a contributing member. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at talkclassictome for some awesome content and to find out what's coming up next. Thanks for listening.